Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with a 2014 attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther with Louisville Slugger. Aaron, uh, big weekend in college baseball. Feels like it was really the first good week of the season in terms of a lot of good matchups. Top 25 matchups, conference play starting pretty much around the country. And uh, some of those uh, matchups that you wrote about in Weekend Preview delivered this weekend. Uh, Carlos Rodon and Luke Weaver went mano a mano in Tallahassee in a good pitcher's matchup before FSU wound up uh, you know, pulling away in that game, and they pulled away and swept the series. And then Vanderbilt and LSU in a highly anticipated matchup between Aaron Nola and uh, Tyler Beatty. About 100 pro guys, scouts, cross-checkers, a couple general managers apparently in the house. I was texting with a scout Friday who was really worried about how he would get to watch that game. It sounded like there was overflow in the scout section, overflow for the fans, a blackout on Saturday. We had a great weekend of college baseball, finally. Uh, Who were the big winners in your mind, just in general, on a a weekend like that where we finally had some, some real good matchups that we could sink our teeth into? Well, yeah, certainly, um, you know, I think, I think the, the three showdown series that we were kind of had our eyes on, the three series between ranked teams, all really lived up to their billing, you know, and, and certainly South Carolina, um, I think, is, is the place to start this discussion. You know, the, the number one team in the country, they did take their first loss on Friday, and then, you know, I was watching that game on Saturday, and it looked like they were, they were about to lose the series. Um, you know, they were down uh, three runs in the ninth inning, and it looked like it was over, and, you know, I went out to do some yard work. You know, picking up the ice, picking up the yard after the ice storm. That's right, ice storm damage. And uh, I came back, and, and South Carolina had won. I mean, it's just it's it's incredible what they do over and over again in these settings where they're just, you know, it's going back to 2010, really. That's that's when we talked about it this is. before, and I think um, maybe on the hangout last week about how how this 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 uncanny ability to win just seems to be hot wired into them right now and you know you're down three runs in the ninth oh no big deal here we come you know it's just it's it's insane they have a a outsized amount of belief in themselves and i don't know if that had to come first or the fans followed i think that came first and now it really does feel like they're sustained by the eight thousand plus that show up basically every night at carolina stadium and it also feels, Aaron, like other teams know it too. It just seems like until you get that 27th out, South Carolina's not out. It feels like everybody knows that. That's why it was so stunning to see, you know, like Arizona two years ago or North Carolina last year beat them in the postseason because really the last four years, uh, South, Carolina, South Carolina's belief is huge. And Max Schrock's been battling an injury and had the big two-run homer in that game. And, and they come back and win the whole series – a lot of double headers over the weekend as right, well, Aaron. Right. All three of these series wound up having double headers, correct? Yeah, that's that's right. And you know, the other thing that I think is interesting when you look at those three series to me, and, and I'm gonna write about this a little bit in three strikes, but the teams that won those series in all three cases were the teams that have the better bullpens. Right. And and the better bullpens performed, you know, and, and um South Carolina's bullpen hasn't given up a run, earned or otherwise. In 61 innings. It's insane. And that was one of the big questions we had about them because Tyler Webb had been so good. And for so many years in this run, I mean, they were, they were automatic with Matt Price and then Tyler Webb carried that on. But now Mincy and Seddon seem like they're, yep. they've taken it to a different level, which is pretty hard to believe. Right. And, you know, and, and some of that, of course, is is the, the strength of schedule. I mean, you know, but right. but, but certainly they, they, they've carried on the legacy there. And, 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 you know, Vanderbilt's case, their bullpen's absurd, as we right. thought it would be coming into the year, ranked very high, you know. And, on the fit matrix. On the fit matrix. <laughs> uh, you know, but, I mean, Brian Miller has so much help now with, with, with um, certainly Carson Fulmer and Adam Ravenelli's flamethrowers. And you got Hayden Stone now, the freshman, who's just the latest – Weapon. I mean, that is unfair. Is is that breaking ball he's got is absurd, and he just comes in and mows people down with it. Nobody can hit it. Um, what is it? Ten strikeouts, I think, in relief yep. uh, in one of those games. I mean, you know, and, and then Florida State. Uh, you got everyday Gage Smith. You know, he's there. Like we talked about on Twitter, I think this weekend, he's he's there. John Taylor, absolutely. There, David Berg, if you will. I mean, absolutely. Um, but then you got Winston at the back, and you know, it's a great story that that you'll read in Three Strikes, say from Mike Martin. You know, he's he said, well, you know, I remember they were uh, one of those games, uh, Jameis. They were hollering at him, and I'm and I'm leaning back and I'm thinking, I wonder if this is like when 
He took us 72 yards down the field in that national championship game. I, I, I don't think he's going to get rattled. You know, I mean, it's just... That's awesome. It, it just... It, it, the, the depth of that bullpen, though, in addition to those two guys, they've had other guys step forward. Kenny Burkhead is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, Burkhead. They, they've got, that is a good name. Yeah, they, they've got options from the left side and the right side. And, um, you know, all three of these bullpens have depth and versatility and, and, and anchors. And I just think that set them apart compared to, you know, teams like LSU and NC State and, and Ole Miss. They're all really still kind of looking for answers in the bullpen. And Ole Miss's bullpen had been good. Josh right. Laxer had been good. And then this weekend um, he coughed up that, that lead in the second game. And NC State, that was a question we had coming into the season. Uh, really, so many of the, the other uh, parts of their team looked like they had answers for it. But they lost Grant Sasser. They lost Overman. They lost Easley. They basically lost all the key pieces of their bullpen except for Andrew Wick, or Wick, I keep mispronouncing his name. And Wick was very good for them in long relief in the third game, or was pretty good for them. I think he came in when the game was 4-4. And you know, he's, the, he's their kind of their go-to you know, moment of truth reliever. But after him, everyone else is kind of new, whether it's Olzak or O'Donnell. It's new guys. Doesn't mean they don't have good arms. Both Patterson brothers. Uh, they have, Peterson. Peterson, I'm sorry. They have, they have arms. They have options. There aren't seniors. There aren't guys who did it. And last year, you know, Tom Holliday went to the bullpen at the drop of a hat. This year, the strength of that team is supposed to be starting yep. pitching, and it's been good. But this weekend, uh, what, like you said, they got into, you know, Florida State's very good. Very, very good at home. And I guess that's the other factor to me is just Florida State just, I mean, South Carolina has clearly 8,000 fans, a, a decided home field advantage. Does Florida State maybe, are they in the conversation for best home field advantage in all of college baseball with their fans, with the short right field, the big screen out there, um, you know, the mystique? There yes. certainly is a mystique it's, to playing there. It's funny that you bring this up because I actually had forgotten this until you, just when you said it, but I had a dream last night <laughs> about the animals of Section B singing O Canada. <laughs> You should not have admitted that. Well, it's true. That was in my dream last night. For whatever reason, that's how much of an impression it made on me this week because both of their their fifth-inning rallies came right after they sang Oh Canada this weekend. Um, And then, you know, I mean, it's it's just all part of that, like you said, that mystique, that tradition. It is. They they play great at home, absolutely. The stuff that you wrote about with the U, the the longtime fan base there, I think it's unique and noteworthy because Miami is such a cosmopolitan city yeah. and people don't think of it that way, but that's like a piece of old Miami in Cor- there in Coral Gables. And that's why it's significant. That's why it's noteworthy. And it was a, a nice part of that story. But Florida State has that as well. And Florida State is, to me, Tallahassee is about as, as Florida as it gets. It's up there in the panhandle. You know, the northern Florida, I'm going to get all sociological on you again here, but having lived in Florida a little bit, and my brother lived in Tallahassee, and I've stayed there with him before in the past, Tallahassee is like South Georgia. It's like Alabama. It's like the rest of the South. Right. And Florida State's fans are like, in a lot of ways, fans in the rest of the South. They're not. They're different from fans in Miami for sure. And those those fans are. There's a lot of traditions in Florida State baseball fans. I, I feel like they have. I, I feel like the, the the list of home field advantages in in college baseball. Uh, if you can't make a top five without Florida State and LSU being in there, absolutely. And like we talked about with LSU's fans a couple of years ago, how they keep on, how, how you know Matt Sink at uh, Stony Brook talked about how they live up to their to their reputation, gave them a standing O, and they beat LSU. Those are great fans. Florida, I'm not I'm not knocking anybody else's fans, but in my mind, college baseball fan bases, two of the top home fields I think of are LSU and Florida State, and Florida State's earned it. And I, I just always think. It's an extra little element. Not like they need it. Coach Martin's good enough. Their talent's good enough. You know they know what they're doing there. So they playing Florida State's hard anywhere. But in their ballpark with that screen with their fans, it's just a little extra element. And NC State all times what seven and twenty eight in yeah, Tallahassee. Exactly. That's amazing. And and you know this weekend, um, the other thing I guess that that you can take away from this series is that Florida State is just a juggernaut. This They're really year. good. This this might be... You don't have to convince had, me. They've had, you, you're a preseason pick to win the national championship. That's right. And, you know, with good reason. They're they're really, really good. They, they've had a lot of great teams over a long period of time. This might be, at the end of the day, this might be their best team. And and here's, here's the thing that just jumped out to me. You talked about NC State and the comfort level about going to the bullpen or riding your starters. Right. This year, Florida State has three starters you could ride. Correct. Luke Weaver, 
Brandon Lee Brandt, Mike Compton, they're all really good. They're been, veterans. All of them have been big winners at the college level. They've all got, I mean, Luke Weaver has stuff by any definition. Yep. That's not elite, elite. It's not Beatty or Rodon stuff. But it's very good stuff, and he commands it. And Libre and Compton, they rode those guys as right. freshmen to the Cobble Series a couple years ago. So they've got those three guys, but still, they don't have to They don't have to ride them deep into the game. Mike Martin said, I'm comfortable going to my bullpen anytime. If it's the fifth inning and I need a matchup lefty or whatever, hey, I mean, he's got the depth in the bullpen now that he can extend it. Um, they're just they're deeper on the mound than they've been in a long, long time, forever. Yeah. And, and, and they have the front line guys, and they have power arms at the front and back. Um, and you know they're they're going to hit like they always do, and they're they're sound defensively because they have veterans. And right. I just think they're complete. Aaron, I'm in a March Madness mood. I always get this way this time of year with the college basketball. I'm going to throw a comp out to you. I feel like Mike Martin is almost kind of like the Jim Beheim of college baseball in some ways. You know, Jimmy Beheim, who I am not a fan of, <laughs> always gets. Um, you know, he talked about. I watched a 30 for 30 on ESPN last night about the requiem for the Big East. And they talked about how Jimmy Beheim said, oh, you know, you get labeled a whiner. I was like, well, because Jim Beheim is a whiner. When you throw a chair at a post-game press conference and say, the referees took it away from us like they showed last night, well, you're going to be labeled a whiner when that happens. Yeah. Well, Mike Martin got that label 20-some years ago in Omaha when he complained about the fans in Omaha. And he's kind of had that label. And, you know, there, there are two different ways of it. But, you know, Jim Beheim also a lot of trips deep in the NCAA tournament, but he didn't have a championship until Carmelo in 2003. A lot of bridesmaids, not a lot of bride for, for Jim Beheim. It's kind of been that way for Mike Martin, although, to be completely fair, Mike Martin's had a much better career than Jim Beheim. He's much more of a giant in college baseball for me than Beheim is in college basketball. But, you know, Beheim's in the big media market, and it certainly buoys his reputation. He's a lot of games. He has he's been a lot like, of good teams. I think, I think you're to, selling Jim Short, and I'm not a Beheim guy either, and I think Mike Martin is. I think he's been to three or four Final Fours total in all those sure, years, sure. and Mike Martin's been a lot more Colorado Series trips. And Mike so. Martin is a whole lot more likable, for sure. I think so. <laughs> I think he's absolutely more, but 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 it took us kind of a special kind of confluence of things for Beheim to win a national championship. I, you know, I think that there was a lot of, and so that, that fan base really certainly celebrated, and the national media really celebrated, the New York-based national media really celebrated when Bayheim won a national championship. They just did. And I, I think that, that it will be fascinating to watch Florida State the rest of this year because I do feel like they, they have an answer in a lot of different ways. They have experience everywhere, but they don't, you know, they don't have to rely. But they also have a talented freshman. Yep. You know, what, what will Ben Deluzio be? In May and June, is he going to get it? Is he going to be a dynamic force in their lineup, or is he just going to be a? To me, he's kind of like a Tanner English kind of player. Sure, very similar, yep, athletic, absolutely. run tool. If he figures it out, the plate, boy, this guy could be a real game changer. But the X factor, the reason I picked Florida State for the national championship was Jameis Winston. He is an X factor. He's a power arm in their bullpen, and just what Mike Martin said, he's not going to feel. He is not going to go to Omaha and be pressured. There's just not. It's just not going to happen. I mean, we all love Omaha, but it ain't the BCS championship game against Auburn right. with the whole thing on the line driving the team down. It's just not. So that's the exactly the, a guy with talent and moxie and the, the ability to make a play, to make a pitch when he needs it. And I just like the way Florida State won games this week. They got into slugfest with UCF, and they won that. They just destroyed them in the next game. They, I mean, that was 18, you, lose, you have one game where you're losing 9-1, to one, you come back to win midweek. And you come back the next day and you stomp on a team 18-1. to 1. Yeah. That was pretty impressive because it's hard to score runs. Yeah. And then the way they beat yeah. NC State this week. I mean, they're just not. I think NC State will be back. I think they're a very good team. They're still figuring out. They still haven't hit, really, to me, on all cylinders. Right. But they do need to figure out their bullpen. And that's, like you said, a separator. But uh, I think we know South Carolina's good. I think that this week was a very good reminder of how good Florida State can be. Man, it's, it's the middle of March. So now the key for both those teams is kind of sustaining it. And they're in at number three. Virginia wasn't in as big of a series. I do want to touch on this, though, but Virginia State, Virginia and Indiana, we ran the Hoosiers out of the rankings this week. Um, it was not easy because they did go 2-2 two and two on the week, and they did beat Kentucky midweek, and they've got a win against Louisville. But push comes to shove here, and Virginia and Indiana just aren't hitting. And that's no. just it's just stunning to see. These two lineups, I think, were – and we keep talking to scouts about it with Virginia. I'm sure you've talked to people about it with Indiana – the lineup on paper should hit. Yes. Why do you think those two teams aren't hitting yet? I, I'm flummoxed. I really am. It's the biggest mystery to me of the whole college season so far. Because those two teams and Lafayette, Louisiana yeah. Lafayette, those are the three teams that we, we, you would have said going into the year, three best offensive yes. lineups on paper in the top 25. 
You would have said those are the three best lineups. And Lafayette's mashing. Kudos to the Raging Cajuns, now number five in the rankings. But Florida and, uh, I mean, Virginia, I should say, and the, the Hoosiers, Indiana, just, just not hitting yet. No, you're right. And, and, and I still, hey, it's going to happen. Okay, it's going to happen. I'm surprised it hasn't happened through five weeks. Virginia showed flashes of it this week. They scored right. 13 runs in a midweek game. They scored, what, eight runs, I think, on yep. Friday. Yep. Um, and then, you know, they won two games, but they didn't score. I mean, they do have, that's the one thing, I guess, about Virginia, is that they do have certainly good enough pitching to win two-to-one games. But I, I would feel a lot better about them if, you know, even with Derek Fisher out, they have the personnel to be an elite offensive team. And they're not, they're not yet. And, and neither is certainly Indiana. I mean, I, I can't, you know, this is Indiana's third losing weekend in five weeks. That's why we ran them out of the rankings. Yep. Um, we, we had a lot of patience with them. But right now, okay, you've got to prove it. At this point, um, you know, you're in there based on your ability. And, you know, and I talked to a scout just last week who said, they're going to be a good team. They're, you know, they have good players. They're going to be good. I, I think so, too, but we need to see it. I agree. Aaron, I feel like the stealthiest team in our top ten in forever is Cal Poly. Yeah. I mean, this is a stealth team. I, I'm stunned that Cal Poly is seventh. Um, Matt Imhoff, I think, is the guy that everybody, if you know, if you follow college baseball, you would know, if you think of Cal Poly, you say, oh, Matt Imhoff. And he has three double-digit strikeout games. Right. He's been, he's been fourteen re- plus strikeout games. It's unreal. He's been outstanding. He's been super dominant. But how's Cal Poly? How have they gotten the number seven in the rankings so far? Part of it, I guess, yeah. is other guys have lost. Right, right. But how, what, what's been the catalyst for the Mustangs? Well, you know, and we've talked a little bit about about the fact that coming into the season, my only reservation about them was the the pitching after um, Imhoff, Imhoff in right. rotation. And Casey Bloomquist has, has given them an answer. And um, you know, I think Justin Calamani moved into that Sunday role. He, had, he won two games for them this week. That's the thing about a six-game week for Cal Poly. They didn't play good teams. But to go 6-0... and That's not easy. You, it isn't easy. I mean, they had to use... I think Calamani pitched maybe on Tuesday and Sunday or something like that. And, you know, he pitched the total of, what, 12 innings or 13 innings, something. I mean, you, you had to get a lot out of guys. You had to use your pitching staff creatively. I think they used... Um, I think they used um, Bloomquist in relief one of those games also a little bit. I mean, you know, it's it, they're not a deep, deep pitching staff. It's not like they're, they're Florida State where they've got 17 guys, you know. Right. I mean, um, so, I, you know, it's, it's a good sign that they were able to go 6-0 and and not give up very many runs at all. But, I mean, they're, they're a really good offensive team. They're, they're performing better offensively this year. I think Nick Torres is a bona fide star, an All-America caliber player, is a right fielder with, with prototype right fielder tools, and he's performed. And, and – um, you know, it's nice to see Jimmy Allen, the senior. That you know, I've, I've yep. always been a big Jimmy Allen fan. Yep. He's gotten off to a pretty decent start. Really like Jordan Ellis as just a, um, you know, a center fielder. Reminds me of, of a guy they they had uh, Logan Schaefer several yep. years back. He's yep. kind of that kind of a player a little bit. Brewers big leaguer. Yep. It really feels like Cal Poly is a team there, and that also is not just a push bunt team, not just a team that needs to skill it up to score runs. They do have a couple power sources yes. with Torres and Mundell. And didn't Mundell hit, what, 10 home runs last year? I know mostly non-conference. But just feel like they, they do have that threat of power. You know, yes. that, that, that's just such a, <laughs> I, yes. such a huge factor. I don't want to go too tangenty here about the offense. We could do that all day. But um, they, they have the well, threat of hitting home runs. And this is probably a good time to go on that tangent because it's something we wanted to talk about. So you had a good conversation about, about offense in college baseball. With the bats the way they are right now, and, and the, just the, the brand of play that we've seen. I, do, I, worry, I worry, Aaron, about college baseball because I worry that you're going to just lose players to participate in baseball. I worry about capital B baseball. Why would you play if you do everything right as a hitter and you get a soft line drive and that's the best you can do? Or when you do hit it, it goes to an outfielder. I mean, the bats just don't perform. And I just have talked to too many coaches over the years. And we're sponsored by Louisville Slugger. I'm sure the guys at Slugger are doing their best. But the constriction, the, the restrictions put on the bats have just I, – I, the offense is just out. The way you put – every time I talk to a coach or a scout, the way they see big numbers, big offensive games in college games is when the defense screws up. Right. The defense walks guys, then they don't make a play, they don't feel a bunt. You know, coach talked to me. I talked to a coach in the midweek this week, and he was like, "Yeah, we bunted three times in a row. That's how we got our big our big inning in the seventh or eighth inning, whatever it was. You know, three bunts in a row that were misplayed by the defense. That's it. And right. hey, as a selfishly as a broadcaster, Saturday I saw a two hour Duke Notre Dame game, and I was happy to go home on a beautiful day um, after two hours. 
But I've also been to a lot of 2-1 games that are 3 hours and 30 minutes because of the walks and the bad defense and the pace. And this college, I liked college baseball's identity better when its identity was offense. And I'll just remind people over and over again that these players are amateurs, and they need the help. They're not as good as pros, so stop comparing them to pro ball. You know, we talk about all the time with defense and the bunts. You know, these, these aren't pro third basemen, so stop comparing them to pro third basemen. If a third baseman at Notre Dame or Duke, just as I saw that weekend, if the third baseman at Jordan Betts at Duke wants to go out and get better at bunt defense, he can't go out all the time and take 500 reps on, on balls every morning like you do in the Sally League. It's a different, just a different environment. Or in the big leagues, stop comparing them. They're apples and oranges. They're not the same. And I, so I get tired of the comparison, and these players are amateurs. They need the help. Each of these teams maybe has what? One major league hitter in them, Aaron? Virginia is one of the best. 2008 Miami, one of the best lineups we've seen. There's not an impact big league hitter out of that lineup yet. Alonzo and Grandal made the big leagues. Weeks made the big leagues. But so Brian Tacody has made the big leagues briefly. Jackson briefly. But Rabin never did. So Bolesky hasn't. <laughs> and none of those guys are impact. So this is that's the best. That's like one of the best lineups we've seen in years. And so, and that had four big leaguers in it. I mean, you just you have to put this in the correct context that these players are amateur yep. in every sense of that word. And one of the one of the uses of that word is amateur is like not good and almost clownish in some ways. I'm not saying these guys are clowns, but I'm saying they're not professionals. They're not professionals. They're not that sure. good. They need the help. So I'm I'm getting a little tired of watching these bats, and I can't imagine what it's like as a coach. And I, what I really can't imagine, Aaron, is what it's like as a 14 year old kid trying to hit with these bats when you're going from the Little League size field to the bigger field, it would be discouraging as hell. I'll tell you, lacrosse would look really fun. You know, you run around, you hit guys, you get rewarded when you do something right. It doesn't happen consistently in baseball anymore. I'm a little tired of it. I want some offense back in, these, in, in college baseball. I want the bats to not be such a factor. So I don't know if the ball will help that much. I hope it does. But I hope that people are worried about participation rates because I know some of the coaches I've yeah. talked to are. That's, that's, a that's great, my I think rant. that's a great point, the participation rate. Screw the, I mean, I'm not saying screw the safety, but safety is, cannot be the only concern. And safety is not it. It's fear of lawsuits. And that's, isn't that the fear? Isn't that the, the, the big well, – because I feel like the rolled bats were crazy. There's no doubt. Right. I don't want to go back to the minus but we, five. But we addressed that already when they banned the composite barrels. Right. And then we had then we had wasn't I thought that, a pretty good balanced game. I thought so too. I but, like I like offense. It wasn't too much, but it was an offensive identity. I thought that was good. So here's I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate. Do it. And, and I can't believe we're talking about the bats again, but it's important. It really I think is. it is. It just it, it is. fired me up the way Mick Aoki at Notre Dame put it. Really crystallized it for me, and Chris Pollard seemed to agree. So I mean, it's just, I've ta- it's just been cumulative over the last couple of years. But play so, devil's so advocate. Devil's advocate I, I got a text this weekend, and, and I'm going to say the coach's name because he's been pretty outspoken about it. Ray Birmingham yep. at New Mexico. This is a guy who comes from an offensive program. That's the Absolutely. identity of that program. They scored runs with the old bats. They scored runs with the new bats. Um, but he texted and said, you know, I think a lot of these big-time programs um, are, are afraid that – We've got too much parity now with these bats, and that's why they want to go back to the old bats. He thinks that the new bats lend themselves to parity and allow the lesser schools hmm. to, to compete because if you can throw strikes, you don't have to have a big arm, you know. You don't have to have all of the big premier power hitters. If you throw strikes and you defend and you have a veteran team like Central Arkansas last year is a team that I keep thinking of because they didn't have yeah. pro talent, and they, they won a lot of games, went to regional, performed. Um, you know, maybe it does level the playing field a little bit more. Now, I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, I think there's other factors here. I think, first of all, changing the ball. Um, well, that should, that seems, it feels like that's going to help. They've researched that. I think that's an acknowledgement, number one, that they need more offense in the game. Yep. And number two, that, so there is, so I, I applaud the NCAA be, listening to the coaches on that and wanting to um, improve it, acknowledging that there is an issue. And my expectation is the ball in some ways will be good for, for, for teams that don't have big power arms because everyone I talk to says, you know, your two-seamer gets more life with the, with the lower seams. Right. So, I mean, maybe if you have a sinker ball guy, maybe he'll even be more effective. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that's something to think about. I always thought the old bats actually, were, the more offensive game was an equalizer because it took a player, and I'm just gonna, we're just using names, no offense to anybody, but like a guy like a Dan Paolini, you know, for Siena, 
and took him from a guy who was a pretty strong guy, was a pretty good hitter, into a really good hitter, a guy who had right. 20 home runs every point. year. I always thought the old bats were like the three-point line. You know, they were they were the equalizer. You didn't have to be as talented, and you could hit a three-run homer just as much. Just as you were as likely to hit a three-run homer as the good pro hit guy was. So I, mean, I, I think, think that makes sense. I think you're right. I so so with all due respect to Coach Birmingham, I think that there's always going to be that thought if you're in Ray Birmingham's shoes and you are captain underdog, and that's always been what he's been. That anything that the big guys are complaining about, they're complaining about it because they're the big dogs and people are catching on them. So I always felt the old bats were the equalizer. And I, I feel like college baseball's parity has been pretty good. Uh, you know, m- the more teams, the more schools invest in college baseball, that's what's going to make the parity better, and, yeah. not the equipment. For me, I always thought the bats, the yeah. old bats helped teams. You could just slug your way to Omaha. You could slug your way to a regional win. You didn't have to have you, great pitching depth. Yeah. You, you, had, you had, you had, you're right. I mean, you had the Southwest Missouri States and the San Jose States and the, the best arms Louisiana are, The guys who throw hard, the best arms are going to go to the biggest schools. That's just, that is just how it's always going to be. That's where the scholarship money is spent. That's where the investment is, and the big schools have more to invest. So they're always going to have the best arms. And those got equalized by the old bats. So that's where, to me, the old bats were like a three-point line in college ba- basketball where you could three-ball your way into an upset. So that, so I, with all due respect to Coach Birmingham, I actually disagree. Uh, I feel like the better athletes are the better defensive teams, and the better athletes are going to beat these bigger schools. So that's that translates to better defense, and that's how you win in, in Omaha. For, so for me, I don't agree with him. But I could, you know, I'm not in the trenches every day like he is. So, I, you know, if I see more evidence of it, I'll defer. But to me, the old bats were more of an equalizer. But I'm concerned. Just doing more games yeah. now, yeah. I'm concerned. So, yeah, by the end of last year, hey, you know, I did see Florida Atlantic hit for the home run cycle in four innings. You know, and they were an experienced offense. They had big veteran guys in that offense. So it can be done. And I saw Chris Bryant hit 31 home runs up right. close. And he made in the that marine ballpark layer. look small. Yeah, in the marine layer. So it can be done. But it's concerning to me. When I see teams that we thought were really going to be offensive, and they can't hit, yeah, that makes me that that makes me sit up and take notice. So we'll we'll see, but I, I, it is frustrating to watch the lack of offense. It, it it I just I just cannot imagine what it's like for a coach and for a player to square one up and have it go nowhere. Um, I just I can't. I've talked to Trey Turner about it. The the one off David Berg last year, and I can't relate to that feeling how discouraging that must be but i really think about it what it's like for that 14 15 16 year old and i'm i'm going to try to work on the story with the national high school invitational here and i think there's something there as a story idea but you know i worry about baseball participation rates that's what i worry about so that as jj cooper would say is what uh um aaron how about we get back into this with a team that actually did score some runs this weekend which was rice i want to i want to ask you about the owls because they've had the injury to Jordan Stevens, and they responded with two back-to-back impressive weeks. And now this weekend, they go down to Florida International, and they sweep a Panthers team that we, I think we think fairly highly of. Yeah. How did Rice do it, and what does this say about is Conference USA still theirs to lose? Yes, exactly. I think that's exactly what this weekend showed was uh, they're still the top dog, you know. And and um, I think their offense is coming around, and and, and I, we thought they would be a pretty good offensive team right. at the end of the year, and. They struggled early on to score runs, like a lot of people did. Right. Um, and now they're starting to come around a little bit. And, you know, FIU does have a pretty decent pitching staff. I mean, it's not huge arms. Um, but they've got, you know, they've got some veterans, and they've got they've got about eight guys they feel pretty good about. And so, um, yes, I, I think that's that's a loud statement for Rice. And I, I feel like you've got some really nice pieces up and down the lineup. But, I mean, you know, John Clay Reeves had a nice weekend for him. Yeah. Michael Aquino is, is a is a you know, strong guy that's going to hit home runs and drive in runs. And, um, you know, certainly Skylar Ewing's had a, a pretty good start to the year. I mean, they've, they've had some guys um, perform for them, and, and, I, and I like the table setters. I think, I think they've got enough depth on the mound, too. I mean, I, I think Blake, Blake Fox is one of those under uh, overlooked guys who, um, you know, he's, he's just a quality left-hander who's, who's kind of like, uh, like in the Brad Stone mold a little okay. bit. Maybe not quite as much velocity as Brad Stone, but... Well, wasn't it uh, Tyler Duffy who uh, uh, Rice had a couple of years ago? Is he kind of that kind of guy? Maybe not as much velocity as Duffy had. Yeah, probably. I think he's got more pitchability than okay. Duffy and probably less stuff. 
Okay. But, I mean, he does have a good breaking ball. Um, and then Chase McDowell is another guy who we've kind of, I think we, forget we, Wayne Graham has kind of been waiting for in the Rice program to two-way talent. Yep. Has always had arm strength. Feels like he maybe, did, was that a breakthrough for him to, is it the longest, it feels like that's the longest quality outing I've seen him have that I can remember. He's been good a couple a couple of weeks now this year. I, mean, I feel like he's starting to finally put it together on the mound and, and offensively. I mean, he's... Exactly right. He's one of those two-way guys we've been waiting on and waiting on. He's had injury issues. Mm-hmm. Didn't he have Tommy John? Or no? He had, I, I thought he had some kind I of injury. Recall. Okay. But, yeah, off the top of my head, I don't remember the, which injury. But feels like he missed time. Uh, but he has. He's finally seems like he's. They need. They need him. He feels, feels like he's starting to come through. Absolutely, and and you know he's given them. He's given them some physicality in the lineup, and he's given them uh, a really versatile bullpen piece. So. You know, there have been a few of those guys. I mean, Nick Howard for Virginia is kind of right. uh, has also flourished in a similar role as, as a guy that, um, you know, has found a home in the bullpen. You can stretch him out like they did this weekend when they needed to, um, and, you know, but also is, is a real run producer in the middle. I mean, he's kind of he's kind of their Nick Howard. And I'm going to give you two options as we uh, talk on the Baseball America College podcast. What do you want to talk about next? The opening weekend on the SEC with teams like uh, Tennessee. I don't know we've talked too much about the Vols this year, but – We've quietly moved up to number 18 in our rankings, or do you want to talk about the new teams that we brought in at the back of the rankings? Well, let's talk a little bit more about the SEC first. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think, I guess we've talked enough about Vanderbilt and LSU. But, certainly. But I, but I think, you know, that series to me was, was certainly compelling, and it kind of played out the way I expected it to play out, where um, where Nola, you know, I mean, won, well, he didn't win, I guess, but he pitched really well, and LSU won the game that he pitched. Right. And, um, and then Vanderbilt won the series because Vanderbilt is just better – after Beattie in the rotation, than LSU is. Than LSU is, and, and LSU, um, you know, they're a good team. Certainly, I mean, I, I, good for them. They didn't get swept by I think a, a really good Vanderbilt team. But, um, but for me, I think it's clear that that South Carolina and Vanderbilt are the class of the SEC right now. Pretty crazy just to look at after one weekend and no one in the SEC could pull off a sweep. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, right. we've already ranked 11 Southeastern Conference teams this year. And Auburn's got to be not too far off the radar now. I mean, Auburn just, they, they took a series from Texas A&M. They have a, a sweep of, of Mercer, which, um, you know, Mercer got back on track this weekend by, by I think they, they, they took two out of three from Kennesaw State. Um, so... You know the Mercer Correct. team, and Mercer's what are they sixteen and six, John? Is that what that says? Yeah, sixteen yeah, I mean, and six. You know, so so they're, they're I think they're going to be a good team. So I, I feel like Auburn now that's a twelfth team that we could I could conceivably see getting into the rankings at some point this year. I mean, is it conceivable for this league to get twelve teams? No. in the ranking yeah. in the, the sixty field of sixty four, it just won't happen. I mean, okay. I, I think I could see ten, um, but boy, I mean, <laughs> it, it's amazing to me. By the way, as a tangent, that that. The SEC, with 14 teams in the league, only got three in in basketball. I think I saw someone, is that, some league is that official, right? I think that's right, uh, some league official saying, you know, this is a point of emphasis for us. I mean, clearly, hey, you know, the SEC has the number one national seed in Florida. Mm. I mean, you know, and the SEC's got three national championships in the last, that, that I can remember, with Kentucky and then the two for Florida in 06, 07. So it's not like the SEC hasn't been good at the top in college basketball, but clearly is not an emphasis in the league. That's not the league's identity, and it never right. really has been. I mean, Kentucky has, I think, is I'm pretty sure Kentucky's won like 60 percent all time of SEC regular seasons. I mean, wow. in basketball, I mean, it's been so dominant in the history of the SEC. I'm probably overestimating it because the SEC does go back to like 1933. But you know, the Baron, uh, not Baron von Raschke, but <laughs> uh, Adolf Rupp, you know, dominated the Southeastern Conference for so long, and it's not like Kentucky's been bad under John Calipari. So um, but, but the point a is, tangent. Yeah. I would say a strength of school, strength of sport. Yes, you see, a football conference. But afterwards, what is it next? Baseball or gymnastics? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a baseball league. I mean, for me, it's, no doubt. You know, it's, it's well for us, of course. For us, of course, it is. But I mean, you know, it's this is um, the depth of this league, though. It's just so it's so more than ever this year. And, and you know, Auburn. Um, you know, I know Sonny Galloway really likes his pitching staff there. He thinks that's uh, a legit staff, and some of their young players have really uh, settled in nicely. Um, you know, another team that has a legit two-way guy with Keegan Thompson. We were just talking right. about, you know, Howard and, and um, McDowell. Certainly, certainly Keegan Thompson's a stud, as we thought he would be. Um, you know. Yeah, he's given up five runs all year. That's, <laughs> that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Um, but, but Tennessee, Tennessee, I think, Aaron, we both thought could be dangerous. 
Then we both thought they were. Do, do you have them? Did you project them as a regional team coming into the year? I don't believe you did. They were right on the edge, and I think, I mean, you know, how many, because that's the right. thing is how many can you really project they're going to get right. in one league? I mean, there's there's 11 or 12 teams here that we like. And they've played a soft schedule, too. Purdue is a very good, Quinnipiac, LaSalle. But they swept that series from UNLV, and now back-to-back weeks they've gone on the road and beaten Arizona yeah. State and Missouri, and it's especially impressive to me, or they've done it after losing on Friday. Right. So they don't have that one dominant starter, but this team seems like the, the talent levels up and the athleticism level is up and for Nick, the Vols. And Nick Williams has actually pitched pretty well on Friday, and just you know they, right. they lost the game ball. after him, yeah. I think, in the bullpen. Um, so I mean, I, I still am not sold on their starting pitching. It hasn't been, you know, aside from Williams, it hasn't been very consistent. Okay. Um, but you know, but they've got some nice bullpen pieces. Andy Cox has done a good job for them. Um, he's kind of been like a like a swing man, like a bridge guy. Um, you know, I really like Drake Owenby, and, and he gave him three innings, I think, on Sunday. Um, you know, as a left-hander with, with power stuff, good curveball, and he's a bulldog. Um, so they've got a couple of nice pieces there. Um, you know, some Juco guys, they give them some depth on the mound. But, they, you know, I'd like to see more consistent starting pitching. But other than that, um, you know, this team is, they look pretty complete. I mean, their, their, their offense um, is very good, and their defense is very good. And, you know, you, the, those, the sophomore class, you know, the, the Simcox, Christian Stewart, um, you know, Vincent Jackson, those guys have played well. And then we've got the veterans who can just hit. You know, Scott Price and Will Maddox fit that mold of just those guys that um, are just hitting machines, you know, and, and, and uh, hard-nosed, blue-collar players, um, guys that you really love to have on your team. So uh, I think the lineup is, is deep, one through nine, and, and they've got physicality. In athleticism, and and uh, they sure feel like a regional team to me. Yeah, now they so they've, they've already won back-to-back series on the road in league play. They, they're home to Auburn. That'll be a really fascinating series next weekend. And then you know it never gets easy in the league. But if you, you just talked about the start of this, South Carolina and Vanderbilt are the top two teams we believe. And next two weeks after Auburn at South Carolina, home to Vanderbilt, um, it would certainly mean a lot for Dave Serrano and for Tennessee. Uh, Vanderbilt, their in-state rival, to uh, to win that series would be pretty huge. Florida goes very young in its rotation. They win a series against Arkansas. Are you worried at all about about the Razorbacks? They're nine and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they seem like that's the team that maybe we have the most worry about. It feels like Arkansas just again just uh, you know they've lost they lost four straight games before winning that last one at, at Florida. Aaron, it just hasn't been uh, it hasn't been easy for the Razorbacks. Yeah, I mean I think we both have a lot of faith obviously in that coaching staff their track record is inspires a lot of confidence but it doesn't feel like Arkansas has kind of hit on all cylinders yet even though Brian Anderson you know the preseason All-American is the guy he's hit a little bit but uh, but the rest of that team just hasn't gotten it going consistently no that's right and this has been this has been a recurring issue for them now for for several years even going back to when they had Zach Cox and, and Andy Kentucky Wilkins. corollary like them in Kentucky are a little similar in that regard but obviously Arkansas had more success after maybe some slow starts right I mean but but you know to me the thing is they haven't hit for average for for years now I gotcha. been re- that's been a recurring issue gotcha for um and you know they, they they're still one of those teams that tends to be more productive offensively than than the average shows um but they right maximize now, their uh, they, they maximize do. it when they get guys on base right but but right now I don't know. I mean, I, I you know I think because the SEC is so deep, this feels like a team that maybe um, you know could be in some trouble. And and I mean they do have they've got some nice pieces. That, you know they do have some nice uh, starters. Jalen Beeks has done well on that Friday role. Um, you know Chris Oliver has pitched well in, in, in the rotation. I mean um, you know they're just I don't think they're as deep on the mound certainly as they were last year. Um, it's hard so, to be. No, yeah, they were really deep. <laughs> the last, last two year. years, I mean their their bullpen was. So elite. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was as good as it gets in terms of power arms and guys who got outs yep. in college baseball. And it's not anymore because, for one thing, two of the nice pieces in the bullpen last year are now in your starting rotation. Right. You know, Beeks and Oliver. Right. Um, and then, of course, they lost a bunch of the other guys, you know, Suggs and um, et cetera. But, you know, this is – I don't know. I just – I feel like with Tennessee jumping up, um, with Auburn surging maybe, I mean – you know, A and M and Arkansas are the teams now that that were in our rankings in the preseason. That you wonder if, you know, were they were right. we 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 at this point five weeks into the season, it feels like we were too high on those teams heading into the year because they haven't scored runs consistently. Even though they have arms, A and M has arms, and they're not. You know, <laughs> the two times that A and M's gone on the road, they've lost series. Yeah, you know, they're one and five on the road. At Fresno, they got swept. 
at Auburn. So I seem to recall that was a real issue for them last year. Was going on the road. Well, obviously, you know they get they they have Florida at home next weekend. You know every SEC road series is tough, but if you're going to look at a road schedule for them, you know they're at Georgia, um, which is not a bad series. If, if you're going to you know, let's just be honest. If you're going to pick a team that you want to play on the road this year in the SEC, Georgia's toward the top of the list. I mean, I know Scott Strickland's told his team that. Kudos to the Bulldogs. They they rally. What was it? Eleven game win streak that got snapped. Yeah. In the last two games of the Mississippi State series. I guess that's the other question I have for you, Aaron. Mississippi last State, year, by the way, John, to finish, yeah, me, sorry to interrupt, but a no. was 6-14 and 14 on the road last year. I was just stalling for time for you to find that, so yeah. <laughs> well done. So um, yeah, that's that's a concern. That's a two-season trend of uh, can they get their act together on the road. And Mississippi State, I mean, 15-8, and eight, Aaron, they certainly rallied to win that series at Georgia, and it's always great to win a series on the road, but they got Vanderbilt at home next weekend. I mean, the left field lounge better come out strong for the Bulldogs, because it just feels like that's they haven't hit on all ser- on all cylinders yet either. They haven't, and and you know to some degree, I understand that. You know, I think John Cohen's right. I mean, the, the first month of the season, it makes sense to try out different combinations, and you know you're going to take some losses. And last year, they did the same thing. They did, they didn't they weren't great in the first half of the year, and then they you know they they heated up. Um, I thought it was very smart for them to finally start Ross Mitchell. Right. And he, lo and behold, he gave him a complete game, you know, and they won. That guy's really good. He's really good. I mean, he's... I mean, I don't, I've never, you know, I guess it was, he hadn't been comfortable starting, whatever. You know, you got to make it work. That you, you need to get more than two innings out of your starter. Yeah. And they did, finally, by putting him in the rotation. But, I mean, they're still having, they're still fighting it um, in the rotation. Ben Bracewell wasn't the answer on Friday. Right. Um, you know, I mean, they've got Trevor Fitz. Um, you know, he's been up and down. Um, certainly. They seem to have found a role for, for Lindgren. You know, we yes. thought Jacob Lindgren yep. last year coming in was the guy who could maybe make that step and replace Chris Stratton. And he wasn't that guy. Right. But they found a role for him to be successful in. That's, and that's, that's, and that's why they can afford, in my opinion, they can afford to use Mitchell as a starter because you've got Lindgren now as your bridge guy to get to Holder. Um, and you still have other, you know, you got depth in the bullpen. You got Miles Gentry. You got a lot of guys back there. Um, you don't need to use Mitchell as a crutch. I think, you know, I understand he can. He's got a rubber arm. He, he could influence multiple games over the course of a weekend. But I'd rather get eight or nine innings out of him as a starter and, that and win the game. And that influences more than one game. When you yes, get eight or nine innings, yes, you, you win that game, and it, your bullpen's fresh for the next game. Yeah. That that influences multiple games. You know. Um, it's easy for us to sit, to sit here and say, I understand as a coach how you want to have that security blanket of a great bullpen. So that's kind of a, one other theme of this podcast is the great bullpen. Um, and last but not least, uh, we brought in Houston. We brought in the Houston Cougars this week. Um, and we also dropped Miami to 25. We also brought in San Diego. Um, you've written about both these teams, I believe, in three strikes already this year. I know you've written about San Diego. Um, Houston, just again, we talk, I think we talked about them actually in the podcast last week a little bit. Mm. Just feels like Houston just has been so consistent this year already. Um, I guess these are the two John Moore's uh, universities. Uh, um, well, no, it was San Diego State where John Moore's built his ballpark, but built the ballpark at, at the University of Houston. Um, what got these two teams in our into our top twenty-five rankings? The Cougars and the Toreros. Well, they you know they've just both been really pretty good for the for the first five weeks, and you know, Houston had the one losing weekend at the Houston College Classic. Um, when they lost a couple of one-run games to Texas and TCU, but they beat Texas Tech. Um, they have some, you know, they had a nice, I thought, West Coast trip last weekend um, where they beat USC and UCLA. Lost the game to Pepperdine, uh, but you know, no shame certainly in that. And then they've got a couple of midweek wins against Baylor and, and Rice. So, and, and then I think sweeping Michigan is, is a nice series. I kind of, I still kind of like that Michigan team. They haven't played very well yet, but. Um, you know, they've got some. They played a lot. Of, they played a lot of good teams. They tough schedule. I gotta tell you, Aaron. I, my first instinct was not to look for Houston in the American Athletic Conference. Right. I just, it just does not. But that, that is an intriguing baseball league for as long as it's gonna be together. Right. Houston, obviously, Louisville will leave the league after this year. But you know, Memphis's programs improved. Yeah. UConn's interesting. Uh, you know, South Florida. I, I don't know who stays in this league long term, but uh, obviously, Temple's out after this year. Um, will that hurt this team getting bids? I mean, Temple's, I got to assume that Temple's, um, you know, record will not wind up being very good this year. Right. I, I certainly hope for the for a team like Houston or Louisville's sake that the league RPI doesn't take too big of a hit if Temple puts up a really bad record because 
uh, you know, your RPI takes a hit. It includes all the teams, not just the good teams at the top. And boy, if, if Temple winds up with a bad record after with all their fighting this year, um, that that could be that could be rough for Houston. But uh, I, I have to imagine it's going to be at least a two bid league, though, because I, th- I think Louisville and Houston are both really good, and I think they're going to have. I mean, the fact that Houston's fifteen and three and has played a pretty decent schedule, they should they should have a pretty good RPI, I would imagine. And and I think they're I think they're for real. Um, and you know, San Diego. To me, the last two weeks, um, going on the road to Oklahoma State and winning that series, yep. and then um, you know midweek win against Fullerton, and then sweeping a road series at BYU. Uh, this is one of the few teams that has scored runs. Yes, exactly. And that stands out. And uh, you know, they've also they've got they've got enough pitching. I mean, um, I, I do like those three lefties in their rotation, um, but. You know they're they're a decent club I think and, and San Diego State was right there in the mix also I, I like San Diego's body of work a little bit more but San Diego State was in our our top twenty five mix certainly Alabama is a team that we almost brought back in um, after they won that series against Kentucky so there's there's still other teams here that we like um, and Miami holding on by a thread there at the back of the rankings but you know tumbled from from what thirteen, 13 to, yeah. to twenty five it's a significant fall but you know they they played a tough schedule at least they're three and three against the top twenty five. But they're only eleven and nine overall. Um, it's a hard team to figure out. That's one of those that they really are, Aaron. And so is, and, but you know, and so is Indiana. I mean, I, you know, that's a team that I, I just don't get why they haven't hit. I don't get it. It's not all the bats. Everybody's using the bats, but I mean, and, it, and Indiana scored a ton of runs with those bats last. They year. did. They did. It's just it, it. It's so weird. But to me, the the the, uh, the baseball such a mental game. And, uh, you know, Indiana feels like they need uh, one of those weekends. And Miami, too, where they just have a week where every little dribbler rolls through. Yeah. The pop fly, the ball, the play is a man in the outfield, and they get a couple of those to, to go in, and that's where you get some confidence. But I think it's such a – I think the mental part of the game feels like Miami this week. They just couldn't get things going in the right direction. And, you know, kudos to Georgia Tech. That's a big weekend for Georgia Tech to win that series. Because you know, Georgia Tech – and they've been to regionals every year since 1999. Um, I don't think so. I think they missed, they missed one other year in there. But did. it's a pretty consistent regional program, and you think of Georgia Tech as a, a close-to-elite program. And that's not elite-level talent this year for the Yellow Jackets. That's, that's no. a big series win for Georgia Tech to take care of business there. Yeah, and you get guys like Devin Stanton coming in there and throwing six strong innings on Sunday. That's a guy that has not been very good for them. And they lost Alex Cruz uh, out of their out. bullpen. He's, He's out gone. for the year. He's um, Dismissed. I that's guess. it. Yeah, dismissed from the team. I mean, that's a that's a big loss for them. So, um, it's just not a lock that Georgia Tech's a regional team to me. So, no, it's that, not. That's going to that's going to help them quite a bit. And that and that that shows you to me the difference between the ACC and the SEC this year. And we can wrap up, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, you know, Georgia Tech. I mean, the year was the seventh team in the ACC for me. We had, we project, projected it as a seven bid league, and Georgia Tech feels really fringy and you know even North Carolina is the sixth team um I think they're okay um and they've you know they've big ba- weekend they've big weekend for them to, to go win on the road I mean it's Maryland I mean, it's which Maryland. doesn't have great they, Maryland's pedigree. got some arms though I they, like Maryland's team yeah. I just about to say I kind of like the direction John Chef has no that doubt. program going in headed into the Big Ten yep. uh next year but I, I feel like Maryland baseball that, that's not a given that you're going to win that series right, at Maryland right. anymore and and Wake Forest has been shown, shown some signs of life they're I mean plucky they, they're plucky um, you know, but I mean, there's a lot of teams here that are, I feel like, pretty mediocre after the top five. The bottom of the league right now, um, you know, you're looking at BC, Notre Dame, and Pitt, the three, you know, three of the Big East refugees. Is there another Big East refugee in the rest Virginia, of this league? Virginia Tech. Virginia Miami. Tech, sort of. Yeah, sort of. But sort I mean, of. I, Miami never played Not Big baseball, East baseball. Right. But Pitt, BC, and Notre Dame combined are 1 in 17, you know. And uh, that's not a good start. You know, Notre Dame's been on the week, been on the road. They were at NC State and at Duke. Got Pat Connaughton back this weekend. Maybe that helps change things for them. But Notre Dame really not hitting. Not an offensive club. Not a physical club. And BC has lost nine in a row now. After they struggled mightily last year, they thought they were going to be better. Um, I don't know. Not easy. So that is going to drag this league down. That could have an effect on whether that seventh team gets a bid. Yep. I think if you're looking at the seventh place team in the ACC. And their resume is fringy, and that eleventh place team in the Southeastern Conference and their resume is fringy. I, you know, the committee says they don't look at conference affiliation. I think that's not true, but I, I got a feeling that at some point the RPI is going to be better for that eleventh place team in the SEC, just because the league is so strong and deep. 
And it's going to be that seventh place ACC team. And there are 11 teams in the SEC that I, that I like better yeah. than the seventh team in the ACC. There you go. And uh, honestly, there might be 12 more. teams in the SEC that I like better than the seventh. I was going to say, I think you're selling the SEC a little short <laughs> because we've talked about 12. I mean, really, Georgia and Missouri are the only teams where it's not. And how is Georgia different, really, from Georgia Tech this year? I mean, they're both young. I like Georgia's young talent. Um, Georgia has shown signs of life. They've been tough. Um, you know, they, they, have they played yet? They, they won did, and Georgia game. won one nothing. So, I mean, you know, Georgia might be better than Georgia Tech, and that's the 13th, maybe, team in the SEC? Come on. It is. I mean, this is, the SEC is so much deeper. Yes, I like Florida State, NC State, Virginia at the, at the top. top. No doubt. And, and I still think Clemson's going to be pretty good. And I still still think Miami, at the end of the year, will be pretty good. But they haven't, they haven't performed. Right, and North Carolina's... Pretty sure. good as well. Sure. I mean, you know, they, they clearly know how to win over there. But there's know. a steep drop-off after that. I don't disagree. Great way to end it. Aaron, great stuff as always. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll be back with next week's college baseball podcast. Every Monday we do it here. We'll be back on, uh, we should say, on Friday. Uh, Aaron, you're leaving for a big Midwest trip. I'm very excited about this. Tour of the Heartland, the I-35 tour. Um, we will see, we will figure out what we're going to do with the Hangout. Hmm. On Friday, you might have to do that like early in the morning before you leave. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how we uh, do the hangout. I like the hangouts on Friday. They've been they've been fun. Yeah. But you will be going from basically flying into Dallas and leaving from Omaha. Is that how it went? Uh, Wichita. Wichita, of course. The Wichita. Yeah, a little bit of a backtrack after the Nebraska leg. But uh, so we'll, we'll we'll talk a lot about the Midwest in the next couple of weeks here on the podcast on the upcoming Google po- uh, Google Plus Hangouts. We're sponsored by Louisville Slugger and for Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball American podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.